Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome back to Angel on Top, a podcast where we watch and discuss every episode of Angel one by one, spoiler free, and in tandem with buffering the vampire slayer. I'm your host, LaToya Ferguson. My guest today is Connor Goldsmith, a senior literary agent at Fuse Literary and the host of the X-Men podcast, Cerebro. This week, we're watching Angel season three, episode two, That Vision Thing, which was written by Jeffrey Bell and directed by Bill Norton. It aired on the WB on October 1st, 2001, and this is the one where Cordelia's already devastatingly painful visions take an even more devastating and painful turn. It's also the one where Angel meets Skip. Hi, Connor. Hi, Latoya. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see your lovely face, even if it's via Zoom. Uh, yes. Uh, thank you for joining me. I, I knew that uh, if I'm going to do an Angel podcast, I have to have you on I am, uh, as a guest. I am the biggest Angel fan you know, probably. Who isn't you? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You were like, I will do any episode you want. I said that. I was like, literally, I gave you a list of like, 12 episodes from this season that I would be happy to do. And I was like, choose one and we'll, we'll make it work. So do you want to tell our, our beautiful Angel on Top listeners your Angel origin story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Angel is probably my favorite show. I mm-hmm. think that like any show that is now 20 years old, it has in some ways aged less well or, or more efficiently, depending on the episode. But I think it... Um, has actually aged a lot better than Buffy, controversial opinion. And I think that it has a lot to say about, you know, the human condition that's still very relevant today. I often, when I'm talking about the work I do as a literary agent, which, you know, sometimes I work with celebrities on fun books, and sometimes I work with novelists on fiction, but a lot of my work is with journalists and activists and cultural critics. And, you know, people ask, do you think you're making a difference? And I always say, well, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do, which is from Angel's conversation with Kate Lockley and Epiphany in season two. I came to Angel in my freshman year of college because the DVDs of Angel were coming out and I had always loved Cordelia. So I found it to be really fascinating and I was consumed by Cordelia Chase, who is my favorite character still to this day on any television show. That's sort of my origin story. I um, have watched Angel all the way through about a billion times. I taught a class on Buffy at Oberlin when I was an undergrad there uh, to faculty and students as part of their experimental college program where we could sort of put together media studies courses. 
and uh, analyzed Bucky through the lenses of sort of feminist scholarship, post-colonial scholarship, queer theory, other, you know, Oberlin type stuff. I do know how much you love Cordelia. That's I do my girl. Know- I do know how much you love uh, the, the pairing of Cordelia and Angel. Our fan base is uh, pro-Cordelia. Well, Let's play good. the jingle, shall we? Let's play it right here. No one else could do this episode justice, basically. It goes to the well of something we've become, you know, familiar with on Angel, which is, you know, uh, Damsel Cordelia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have it in things like, uh, you know, Expecting and Room with a View. And, like, the, thematically, the, the, this episode has a lot uh, to do with, like, both of those episodes. It hurts even more, I think, in this episode, because at this point in the show, we are aware of just how competent and strong Cordelia is as a character. So to see her in a weakened state like this, it just feels atonal or like just it feels wrong because now you even have Fred who is kind of like now the quote unquote damsel character. And we were we were discussing in the premiere, the gang doesn't exactly treat (laughs) Fred and her trauma the best. But look, the one thing that's like really noted is that uh, to to Cordelia, Fred is not what she sees as a strong woman. No, especially in these early season three episodes, her mental state is treated a little bit as a joke. Which is one of the things that it doesn't age well because now it just seems very insensitive to, to watch Team Angel, except for Angel, just kind of joke about it or just like, why can't she just be normal? You know, a lot of that. It's also worth noting that this episode was originally supposed to be episode three with that old gang of mine. It was supposed to be episode two. Mm-hmm. And that actually informs a lot of um, Fred's behavior in this episode, because she's clearly made progress since the premiere. The fact that she she's the one who takes Cordelia home. She is leaving the hotel. Right. She's going back, yeah, going back forth to the hotel. So just keep that in mind, listeners, especially first-time viewers. So we open with the one brain cell that Wes and Gunn have as they try to be really sweet to Cordelia, because she hasn't had a vision in a while. Right. It's clearly not working, because they're doofuses. I love them both, but... Well, and she's savvy kind of enough to understand what they're doing. So. As is Fred, who has, uh, you know, she has moved from her room. She is eating under a table, but she has moved from her room and she is hanging with the gang. There is a joke that comes out of the scene, uh, Forkin' with Gun, which is the first of uh, all of our sex and dick jokes in this episode. This episode has a lot of dick jokes, yeah. I think it's meant to counterpoint the very... And again, this is me coming at it from a certain perspective, but I think that the frivolous nature of those conversations is meant to underline the really rich emotional scenes in this episode between Angela and Cordelia. The humor works better for those like unexpected like tonal shifts as opposed to the dick jokes themselves. Like when Angel's like on a mission and he gets to the key store, he's like, I need a key. That kind of pulling the rug out from under very serious flowing trench coat Angel well, and I think that that's paralleled in this episode by this is the first time Gavin Park has a substantial role after his sort of like introductory cameo in 220 Over the Rainbow. And Gavin's approach to bothering Angel is so much lower stakes than Lila's approach to bothering Angel. 
And I think that that's another way that the episode uses sort of lightness and silliness to really make it hit when something very serious happens. We talked about us in the bonus episode about how you get uh, Daniel Day Kim, who has just got charisma dripping off of him. One of the most gorgeous men ever on television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gavin Park is like the biggest dweeb who's like, Such I'm going to get him with paperwork. Yeah. Ima- imagine if Lindsay had tried to get him with paperwork and it's like, it actually worked. He's like, wait, I could have just done that the whole time. Well, I think Gavin is supposed to stand out as different from Lindsay and Lila in, in a lot of ways. And you can see just from his name. I mean, Mm -hmm. in the first, when the sort of three lawyers are introduced in the first season, their names are Lee Mercer, Lindsay McDonald, and Lila Morgan. And they're all LM, which fans at the time always pointed out is the same initials as Lucifer Morningstar. It's like the Superman, like Smallville, LL, Lex Luthor, Lana Lang, Lois Lois Lane. Lane. So Cordelia has not had a vision in a while, which is something that, that happens every so often in the show. You know, they start an episode like, Cordy hasn't had a vision. <laughs> and, oh, Fred. Fred is still in her uh, hero worship of Angel, which I think is something that makes a lot of sense, the, the hero worship of Angel. Mm-hmm. And it's something you don't see a lot of um, with series regulars on shows, although you can create a very interesting dynamic. Because usually it's like a one-off character right. will have a hero worship for Angel or whoever it may be, and that's that. But here you can kind of track it, and so you can see where it is. And so Freddie's getting more ingrained with the gang, but she's still like Angel number one and you're his his super friends, basically. So she's like, hey, can you like use a vision to find out where Angel is? And of course, that's not how it works. We get a little bit more exposition about how things work. And just in case you're watching for the first time, because the B word has left this network, but Angel is still here. Uh, as one of the promos for season three said, there's still only one Angel. Yeah, and I think that... Um... Fred's purpose in the early season three episodes actually is to have things explained to her so that a new viewer can be caught up if Mm -hmm. necessary. And now Gunn can tell her things as opposed to in season two where he had to ask things. He served that purpose previously, yes. Gavin Park shows up looking good, but still being Gavin Park. Cordelia is like, you look good until Wesley tells her, this is Gavin Park of Wolfram and Hart. And, uh, you know, after he brings up the 57 code violations, he's like new player when he sees Fred because yes. Wolfram and Hart, of course, sees these characters as pieces on a chessboard, yes. which is very important to this episode and what uh, Lila does to Cordelia. And uh, once Angel shows up to be like, wow, you, you nerd, really? You're coming at me with uh, code violations? He sends him on his way. Uh, and then... Cordelia has a vision for the first time in ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a pretty clear vision. We, we discussed this in the premiere. These visions are getting, you know, more specific. She's getting better at it. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is the first vision, which has the claws and the coin with the hole in it. Yes. Uh, again, Angel is very concerned with Cordelia's pain, not knowing exactly, like, it's it's taken on a real physical manifestation in this way. But of course, he, like, he's checking on her and she just pushes him away. Uh, and then she goes to the bathroom. She sees that the claw marks are on her, uh, and that's different. That is definitely different from what we usually that get. That hasn't happened before, right? Also, not even, I don't even know it's new, but it's just upsetting. Is the short sleeve sweater that Wesley is wearing in this uh, <laughs> scene? Uh, no sweater should ever have short sleeves. That's my opinion. I I think that's entirely valid. The episode works in a way where you don't even have to really. You can question why the powers are doing this, but not necessarily. Oh, are the is this the powers doing it? Buffy is a very classic, the character is a very classic sort of 
comedic trickster hero in the classical sense. And Angel is a tragic hero in the classical sense. Cordelia's story is a different story. It is a passion play in sort of the Catholic tradition. She is, a, she has a saint's narrative. Uh, the gift that she has of these visions is oracular. And what we begin to see in this episode is the, the passion of her uh, power has of her charisma, actually, one might say, because that's what a divine saint's power is called, is charisma. So the Puns, so, well, the charisma carpenter is uh, is Jesus. So that's kind <laughs> of a. I mean, I'm just I'm gonna go there. It, it's a it's a pretty it's a neat coincidental bit of uh of, it's just just a think about it for a second. But I think that in this episode, what's interesting is she has that biblical and and sort of golden legend saintly story going on and in this episode she has literal stigmata from the visions Mm -hmm. which i think but because that's how the story already has kind of been thematically going it makes perfect sense it's like oh of course that's how it escalates like now she's you know that's what happens to saints they start bleeding out of their eyeballs like things like that you know what i mean um what i like about this scene is that cordelia hides it Mm -hmm. she doesn't want them to know she doesn't want them to see she knows that she's been physically harmed she can feel it before she sees it but she doesn't want them to be concerned about her which is very different from the cordelia of old Mm -hmm. and the only thing she cares about is telling them details about the coin about the monster she's seen and making sure that the mission is accomplished and charisma is so good in that scene with the mirror and later, it's like she also doesn't want to possibly piss off the powers Correct. by telling them and having them trying to stop this, you know. Because she doesn't want this, she, you know, there's a there's a joke at the beginning about how it's a gift and she sort of sees that as laughable, which is a similar sentiment to the one Doyle had. But in the end, she does see it as a gift because she's been tasked with this important thing mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to lose it. It, it sort of goes back to the season two premiere judgment where she has that speech where she says to Angel, you know, you're going to accomplish this thing and I'll be with you until you do. She sees herself as his guide. And she thinks she's kind of useless if she, she can't be his guide. She has to kind of learn here to, to you know, accept their help because so, so yes. much of this is her trying not to accept their help. Correct. And trying to handle it by herself. It's unusual on Angel for Cordelia not to get an opportunity to cut off the priest's head or smash the mm-hmm. iced up pregnancy demon or tell the old lady goes to go fuck herself. And in this episode, the, the, the resolution you get for her is that she gets to sleep. It actually helps that it is moved to episode two uh, for this because then it is kind of uh, a counter to her, her belief of what it means to be a strong woman. She realizing that yes. she can be physically weak and still be just accepting her friend's help accepting fred's help accepting angel's help accepting everyone's help yes that doesn't make her weak she is still a strong person yeah angel checks up on cordy again uh he won't he he, like he won't leave until she opens the door to talk to him i like when he says i mean it cordelia open up because he doesn't mean the door you know what i mean like it's a Mm -hmm. it's a he wants her to tell him what's layers. going on. Yeah, layers. It's like, oh, how deep, right? <laughs> Angel enters the herbalist shop. L- let's talk about this scene because... The Cantonese get- food feasts? <laughs> yes, because we've got some, you know, 
We've got some more wire foo. And I mean, this gives us a, a beautiful moment, which is a stunt granny. Which yeah, I, I love, love a, a stunt granny. <laughs> ah, there, there's nothing I love more than in uh, professional wrestling, the, the quote unquote stunt granny, which is, you know, it's just a plant in the crowd. This this old lady mm. is yell, yelling at the heels and the heels like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to push this old lady into the crowd. Table or whatever, right. Love a stunt granny. Meanwhile, at Wolfman Hart, Gavin's having his real estate stuff faxed to Lila's office. Yes. Um, and he's been moved to special projects from real estate. He requested which, the transfer, yes. And they allowed it because of the patriarchy. <laughs> and he implies that Lila didn't actually earn her position and that she's only in yeah. charge because Lindsay quit. And what's interesting is Lila could take exception to that, which she does, but she then defends Lindsay, which I think is an interesting character beat. She, she mm-hmm. points out that Lindsay lost his flesh and blood, lost a limb for this company, and that Gavin's a fucking weasel. So she does, you know, there's a very interesting beat there. And at this, also, she has uh, a new haircut. Those bangs are very good at the time. <laughs> it's very, it's extremely 2001 at this point. Yeah, yeah. 2001. So it's a very, it's a very 2001 bang. Yeah, that's all I will say of the bangs. They are very <laughs> of the time. And the thing about this Lila Gavin scene is that she is clearly above him in the Wolfman Hart hierarchy. Right. I mean, he's been moved to special projects, but like she's in charge in of special charge. projects. Yes. But, but the way he talks about having her on his team, yes. as though she's a support subordinate, and that he like he he thinks he's like the the new cock of the walk, basically. But here's the thing: he is not because he's better than her at this, but just because of the misogyny at Wolfman and Hart. Right. Lila was better at her job than Lindsay. Absolutely. Const- he was constantly fucking up and like he was a liability and they were still going to promote him over her. Yes. Just because he's a man. Yes. The patriarchy! <laughs> and so Gavin is a dweeb and a man. If Lila is not careful, he is going to like leap over her despite not having the credentials or even just like the like experience at all. Well, and just, he also underestimates her so thoroughly that he's not afraid to let her know that that's his intention. Meanwhile, Cordy is trying to kick Fred out of, out of her home. Can't deal with the intrusive questions. Just really can't take Fred's whole vibe, but it does try to be nice. Fred compares mm-hmm. her to Lassie, means it as a compliment. Cordy gets a uh, phantom dentist to help her <laughs> kick fr- uh, Fred out. But then she has a vision which uh, knocks her out and she gets the boils. And this is when she can no longer hide it. The whole team is at her home and Angel wants it. Like she's just going on about the key and what she saw in her vision, get to work. But Angel's like, he wants to talk about what happened to her. Yeah. And this is at the point where you can tell Charisma Carpenter's voice is shot. Yeah, but I it really works. I mean, everything. It does work. She has, she gives such a... Um a sort of unfiltered performance in this episode. She holds her body in sort of uh, stilted, kind of uncomfortable ways so that you can tell that Cordelia is in a lot of pain. The way that her voice starts to give out is very real sounding. I mean, maybe maybe it was. Maybe after Well, that's because it, it yeah. is real. Yeah. <laughs> I think she may have had a cold or was recovering, and that's what the voice thing is. But it's perfect. I yeah. mean, it really, she nails it. It's not just, you know, I look disgusting and that's why I don't want you to see me. She just doesn't want them to see her weak and less than. That That's what her, her real issue is. And she just wants them to, like, do the work, focus on that. Don't focus on, like, her 
possibly failing them in some way. Well, and it's a, it, that is and that's a significant character moment because it's hard to imagine Cordelia even one season ago being this unconcerned with her physical appearance versus you know she's upset about yeah, it but she, it's not her priority yeah she makes jokes because she like that's what she that's how she handles thinks, traumatic yeah. experiences right and you can just like amy acker like fred is so just like horrified for her right like, just she's so worried she's like the concern you can see on her face it's just like there, now is not the time cordy to make jokes basically but she's like what else can i do basically and i think that it's notable that Wesley is startled by the physical manifestation of the stigmata that the visions have caused, which implies, since he's a pretty well-read guy, that this is not a normal part of, you know, a visionary's experience. And Cordelia says, this must be a mistake. The powers wouldn't do this to me on purpose. I'm part Mm -hmm. of their team. Why would anyone do this to me on purpose? She can't understand it. And that's the, the first hint, even though we don't really realize it yet. Like, why would someone do this on purpose? Who would do this to me on purpose? Lila Morgan would, is the answer. Yeah. yeah. Gun makes the, the, as I put in my notes, the dumb shellfish auntie thing. <laughs> but then Fr- Fred actually figures it out with like... With her, her physics <laughs> knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Trying to communicate with the powers because, you know, it is a conversation, at least one way. Why can't we go the other way? And the visions have to be transmitted through some kind of energy. And this is where... This is where the Fred character shines for me is when they manage to, and it's better when they limit it to physics since that's supposed to be her expertise, but when she manages to bring in her science knowledge base to complement Wesley's occult knowledge base, because it gives her a role on the team that isn't redundant. And Mm -hmm. the whole B-verse is very into the idea that science and magic are the same thing. Jenny Callender sort of introduces that concept in the very first season of the original show. Fred is almost the ultimate evocation of that in that she can apply quantum physics theories and electrical energy theories and chemistry theories to the supernatural and they will work. So Gun and Fred show up uh, at the hotel and this is where Gunn says the line, why would I want to walk with a cute young woman on a beautiful night? Uh, to which Fred misses completely. He just goes over her head because she's Fred. So you are anti a Fred-Gunn relationship as I opposed to anti. Courtney Here's Angel. my thing. I don't buy Gunn's attraction to Fred because we have seen the kind of women that Gunn is attracted to. And they include Anne Steele from The Runaway Shelter. They include Cordelia initially and they include his ex-girlfriend Veronica from 203 First Impressions. And all of those women are very forceful, are more self-assured. I just don't... I think Joss Whedon's into Fred. I don't buy that Gunn would be into Fred. That's my thing. I see a Black man who kind of left his uh, community going for a white woman like Fred completely. But that's not even part of like, <laughs> Yeah, that's, this is 100% realistic to me. So everyone write this uh, in your Shanshu prophecies. Uh, Gunn thinks Fred's a cute young woman. Yes, he does. But yeah, they get to the hotel and there are some quote-unquote exterminators in there. They, they say they're fumigating, but like, what are they actually doing? Something like, sneaky some for Gavin, Fog clearly. or smoke. Like, yeah. is it a magic a magic fog situation fumigation involves like a misty foggy thing yeah but it's like not real like they're not they're not actually fumigating though right but i think they probably are just to be annoying while they do something else nefarious 
yeah. So Angel has uh, returned with the key. Again, we did not see the fight because we spent all of our money on the stunt granny and then a, f- a future fight in this episode. Yeah, but no, he gets back and the host is there. Yes, the host, which we're still calling him the host, at least Wesley is, even though we know he's Lorne based on the Pile arc. Because he reads people's auras, uh, he has some connection to the powers that be. So they're going to try to use him basically to see if he can get a direct line to the powers. Because this is what happens when you no longer have like a direct line to the powers like they did in season one. Correct, with the oracles. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of have to figure out a way to talk to them, which, you know, not easy. And he yeah, which is why them. the oracles had to die. I mean, that's why yeah. there's a big deck clearing at the end of season one. Like, this is too easy. Too easy. And Cordy is so relieved that Angel's found the key. That's all she's mm-hmm. concerned about, yeah. again, is that the mission is proceeding. But she is understandably scared about Lauren going into her head because right now the last thing she wants is more people in her head. Correct. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to lose the visions because she's afraid she won't matter. Yeah, right now she's worried that like if she fights against what she thinks is the powers doing, that they'll take she, them away. Yeah, like she's gonna like fail this test, and right. uh, and and that angel won't need her, and he says he needs her because she's important, not because of the vision. Right, and you wouldn't compares- need me. That's not why I need <laughs> yeah. you, which makes my heart go pitter pat. And then he compares it to a clock. Sure, I hate looking and feeling like this, but if I lose the visions, I wouldn't be able to help you anymore. You wouldn't need me that's not why i need you you're important the visions are just aftermarket extras like her shifter or krager wheels did you just compare me to a car it was a very nice car dude angel but it makes sense that she thinks this is a test because she did just get a test from the powers in the form of the whole gruselug thing in pilea you know, the will you give up your visions because it would be easier test that she just passed with flying colors. Mm-hmm. So this does, it is reasonable for her to assume this is another one. Just a mm-hmm. really, really nasty one. So Lauren gets into her head uh, with some sound of music imagery. And then uh, after making her very dizzy, uh, eventually he goes flying across the room. Yeah. And he says, careful, honey, you've got some power of your own which I like because this is an episode where she's so passive. And the, the fact that Cordelia's strength of will, this does go back to room with a view. Cordelia has sort of the, the most profound strength of, of character of, of self um, self assurance in this cast. And I think that noting that as a power is the fact that she is, has the ability to kind of push Lorne out of her head a little is uh, is notable. But yes, then it goes real wild. Yeah. And then we cut to Wolfman Hart, where we have some freelancing woes with uh, Lila and, and Cal, Cal Penn. Penn. Yeah. I understand those freelancing woes, though I, I, I don't think I've worked for anyone as evil as Wolfman Hart yet. He does the fire vision thing, and that's when Lauren flies across the room. Yes. While she's convulsing. And burning. And then we get, yeah, we get charred Cordy. And Cal Penn's he is so pleased with what he's done and he deserves what he gets at oh, the end. Oh, yeah. But what I like is that Lila's like, you remember what we talked about, right? So Lila has p- chosen these herself. Mm-hmm. Lila is excited about ordering this and Lila decided, I told you to burn her. Remember to burn her. Like there's a yeah. there's a complete sadism here that is interesting. And this is an important episode because if, with Lindsay gone, it's important to establish Lila as the primary Wolfram and Hart antagonist. 
And this episode does a really good job of, of characterizing her. And that's mm-hmm. one way I think it does it. Because Lila will go after Cordelia in a way Lindsay wouldn't Would have. never have. No. Yeah. Lila has no compunction about harming innocents. And I think often has no compunction about harming other women. Exactly. So Lauren's unconscious. Oops. Uh, but uh, Cordelia is still the one that Angel's worried about here. And this is where we get um, uh, something that's happened before, which is where she asks uh, Angel if she's a bad person. Which is very Catholic, as this show tends to be. Just And, and we know that Cordelia's Catholic and Angel's Catholic, so they're just having a very Catholic moment together. <laughs> ah, Catholic guilt, baby. <laughs> uh, but no, he says this is because she's strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, stronger than, than you realize. Uh, now she, she says she doesn't want the vision anymore because she, you know, she tried to be brave, but now she, right now she's just scared all the time. And then, you know, what could be so important that the powers would do this to me? Right. Uh, I don't understand. And he says, I don't either. And that's when, uh, Wesley like brings Angel to the living room and Angel again does not want to leave her side. And he's like, it better be important, basically, that you, you, you took me away from her. I thought it was weird, actually, that Wesley hid this information from Cordelia. It's like they're all treating her with kid gloves in this moment, and you'd think she'd actually want to know that the powers aren't doing this here. She's having an existential religious crisis of faith in there. Like, tell her that someone else is sending these. I don't know. Well, that, that was it's, but that's just because it's a group scene, and you don't want everyone, like, <laughs> like right. lining back no, up into And you don't want them all in the room. bedroom, right? No, I get yeah. that. But it, it, has, it is sort of like, she, she should know this. This is information that should be given to her. <laughs> he, he yells it from the living room so she can hear I like the phrase Lauren uses because, again, it, it sort of connects the magic and science stuff where he says that what's happening is someone is transmitting false data through the celestial pipeline, implying that the powers do have a specific like energy frequency channel open to visionaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, way to go, Fred, for figuring yeah, Fred that out. Got that. Fred nailed that completely. Yeah. And Gunn is right that someone hacked into Cordy's head. And, you know, they're saying, like, who would you? All these things. And Angel, of course, realizes. Lila. Of course it's Lila. <laughs> then we have Lila playing virtual golf. <laughs> so good. With a little tiny Lila that plays the golf game, which I love. It's like with a little ponytail in a golf outfit. Yeah. And you know who whose opinion I would love to hear? I would love to hear uh, Kristen's opinion right now in Kristen's Corner. everybody welcome to the very first Kristen's corner what is going to happen did you really think that i was going to let lila fucking morgan play computer fucking golf and not lose my mind about it lila morgan playing computer golf at her wolfram and heart desk at first made me think to myself hell yeah lila play that golf kiss some ladies and then i thought hmm Kristen, that's kind of stereotypical for you to think that just because a woman likes golf, it means she also likes to kiss other ladies on the mouth. And then I thought to myself, why do I associate golf so closely with lesbians? What's the root of the golf lesbian? Why is it so firmly planted in my mind? Well, I did a little research, Kristen-level research, and I think that the answer is Dinah Shore. So, I'm not going to take up too much of your time. I know that you're here for Insold Vamps and Cordelia's Visions. I love you, Cordy. But Dinah Shore, 
might ring one of two bells for you. First, Dinah Shore was a totally real human person who was born in 1916 and was a famous singer. She also loved fucking golf, just like our dear evil Lila Morgan. Mm, Lila Dinah. Mm. Dinah Shore loved golf so much that, in fact, in 1972, she helped found the Colgate Dinah Shore Golf Tournament, which remains one of the major golf tournaments on the LPGA Tour. I don't know what that means. The tournament is held each spring at Mission Hills Country Club, and it inspired many other ladies who loved golf to go and throw what were called Dinah Shore parties. Now, if you're a queer, you probably know where I'm headed. While Dinah herself didn't identify as queer, there was one particular lesbian named Mariah Hansen who, in 1991, began a little lesbian party called the Dinah. The queers loved it, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and tens of thousands of queer ladies gathered every year. And that was how I first heard Dinah Shore. I just thought it was a party. And now you know that Lila Morgan might just be a modern-day Dinah Shore. She doesn't have to attend the Dinah Shore lesbian party, but she can if she ever wants to. And also, some lesbians play golf, and some golfers are lesbians, but we all exist on the spectrum, and I would love to kiss Lila on the mouth. Thank you so much, Kristen. That was delightful. Vert golf. And then Angel does a little, little sneaky thing. Popped up his behind ba- her. His Batman thing. Yeah. Yeah. Gavin helped him with the vampire detectors because, you know. And I love that Angel. <laughs> us just, men got to stick together. But I love that Angel just tells Lila that because Angel's just like, let's stir this up a little bit. FYI, Gavin helped me do it. Angel uh, gives her the key, says it's over now. She tells him he'll be needing this on his mission. Right. Uh, and that there was a, a young man who's been uh, unfairly imprisoned and you're going to save him. What I love in this scene is, I mean, Lila's named for Delilah. Again, there's a lot of biblical stuff here, right? But she's a seductress. That's her role. Um, and so she's like flirting with Angel and is like, aren't I evil and sexy? And he has no patience for it whatsoever. And it sort of starts to become clear to her that that tactic isn't, working so they just get down to brass tacks and what i think is interesting here is that angel tries to give her whatever these relics are that she definitely should not have and is like if you'll fix cordelia and leave her alone you can have these and we'll call it like yeah his whole point once like they figure out what it is and like for the rest of the episode he's like i don't care what this is as long as cordelia as long as cordelia is fixed i won't kill you essentially and but then Lila refers to Cordelia as what's her name, which is not oh, yeah. acceptable to him. It's never been acceptable, and he, especially not to Angel. Yeah, and he grabs her in a in a chokehold, and it's actually an interesting moment because you, yeah, it, it's a rare thing to see on a TV show, uh, mm-hmm. even on this TV show. And you know, you have him fighting with Darla and Drusilla sometimes in season two, but they're vampires with super strength. His his physical match, which I think. Here's the thing. Uh, Lila gets a little too comfortable with Angel here. It's like what you're saying. She's trying the seductress thing and he doesn't fail. And then he chokes her. Like, Lindsay's thing was thinking that he was somehow on the same level as, like, Angel and Darla. And then learning, no, 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 no. Right. But, like, Lila's thing is thinking that Angel, because of who he is, won't get physical with her. Correct. And she learns that she's mistaken. Yeah, when he does, you could, like, Stephanie Romanoff plays, like, the shock. She's brilliant. And t- she's terrified. Brilliant. And then when he steps away, she is shaken. And then she's clearly mad at herself yes, for being for shaken in front mistake. of him. Yeah, she... For, 
She's mad at herself for being the weak woman after she like she just kind of like put mm-hmm. Gavin in his place, and now she's like every bit like the fragile woman, cowering a like, little. Gavin, and then yeah. she gets her composure back really quickly because she's like, I can't show fear. But Stephanie Romanov does an incredible job of showing all those conflicting emotions because she also is attracted to him, I think, and that's a- another aspect of this that's complicated. Basically, like for if Angel didn't do that, he'd be again underestimating Lila her because she's the way a woman. we're saying Correct. We, that she shouldn't be underestimated. Right. And he, he knows how he gets that. He knows how evil she is. He knows is. she's real dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Just because she's got those bangs doesn't mean she's not an evil, evil person. Exactly. So he has to go to this uh, hell prison to, to get out this young man now. And basically, once he does that, everything will be squared away and Cordelia won't be getting uh, hurt by Cal Penn anymore. Well, actually, Lila notably doesn't promise that. That's what she Angel doesn't. asks for, and Lila won't agree. She, he says, if I do this, you'll stop messing with Cordelia. And she goes, no, you'll do this because I tell you to. Yeah, yeah, Lila. We, we, we just saw how, <laughs> we saw how terrified you were. So Wesley figure, figures out the key, um, and then Angel uh, realizes the Chinese guy and the Boyle guy were forces of good. Correct. Again, again he, he made a mistake, just like in uh, season two premiere Judgment, well, he didn't realize they were the good guys because they not, they're not wearing a lapel. Well, it's an important part of the Beaver's cosmology that there are no angels, right? There are only demons who are good and demons who are bad. And the powers that be are presumably not any different species-wise from the great old ones. It's just a matter of moral decision-making, I guess, or, or sort of morality. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. 
Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So Angel is uh, getting prepped to go. Wesley's like, you have no idea what this dimension is like other than the fire and possible guards. Uh, Wesley tries to like go to with come. him. But, yeah. Yeah. But Angel's like, no, I need you here. Like if something goes wrong. I needed to take you know. care of Cordy. And uh, he does a thing and then something goes wrong, which is that he can't bring his weapons with him. All left behind. Whoops. He's like, at least I cut the key still, which is nice. Uh, and then he sees the fire prison, which is, uh, I, I think it's a good effect. It's a pretty it's, good I think effect a, for 2001, yeah. On t- I think it's on, a better on effect. basic cable? Yeah, I think it's a better effect than like the key effect where you can just see that like Boreanaz is frozen and no longer moving. The so, key like, concept yeah. is cool that it turns into a little spinning top when you put it together. I like that bit. Yeah. And then uh, we see his guard, Skip. Named for producer Skip Skulnick. And uh, Skip, of course, played by uh, David Denman, uh, Roy from The Office. Mm-hmm. Brian, the tight end from The Replacements, a movie I greatly enjoy. I like the introduction of Skip here a lot because he is one of the most distressing demon designs we've seen in a while. It's a really gnarly design. He's burning this man in a cage of fire. Uh, keeps him in the fire. My will. How come he's not screaming in pain? Oh, he is. My will prevents him from being heard. I mean, there's only so many, oh my God, the pain, please make it stop, so you can listen to before it starts to bug the crap out of you. Terrifying. And yet, we're told explicitly that this is a heavenly dimension and that this is an agent of the powers that be. So again, it underlines the idea that the the god that Angel and company are serving, or gods, are not necessarily very nice, which I think is Although an important he, part of the show. He does note that, like, do you know how monstrous a guy's Someone gotta be? to be for us to, to be, do this, yeah. Yeah, so it's not like just any old uh, no. you know, murderer or bad guy. But we don't have that person. context. All we get to see is the sort of Old Testament... Uh, fire and brimstone. Yeah. It could be like a petty thing, like uh, the good place, bad place points. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we don't necessarily know, but just we, from knowing that Wolfman Hart really wants him out of this prison, we can probably make some assumptions. That he's not a good guy, correct, yeah. yeah. And, you know, now that we have met all of the characters in this episode, including Skip, I think it's time for a little segment called Fuck Watch. Ah, uh, Connor. Yes, you are a guest. I am. Would you like? Would you like to uh, claim your fuck watch pick of the episode? I mean, Dale Day Kim's in this episode. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, like Gavin <laughs> is disgusting, but 
You can just say Daniel Day Kim and not Gavin. I mean, well, but that's part of what's so interesting about the casting for Gavin, as you pointed out earlier, is that they cast this unbelievably handsome and and eye-catching and charismatic guy as this total drip of a character. And you have to assume that's the only way Gavin's made it as far as he has, right? Because he doesn't have much else going for him. But he certainly does look, as Cordelia notes, very good in that suit. And uh, I have to uh, be careful with my uh, fuckwatch picks because, again, I chose Cordy in the premiere. Uh, Cordy with that bob and uh, that blazer. So for my fuckwatch pick for this episode, I think it's obvious who I'm going to pick. And it's the stunt granny. Oh, love that for you. She's she's quite spry. She is very spry, flexible. Yeah. I think we could get up to some things. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely. And also she could provi- provide me with some great herbs. So. Yeah, she probably is, she's probably like centuries of years old because she's a demon. So, you know, probably lots of experience at making love. Sensual. Just sensual being. <laughs> she's a fook beast. <laughs> So, Skip and Angel are talking. Skip realizes Angel is on his side, basically. Yes. They're both agents of the powers that be. He can smell it on Angel, actually, which is interesting. He even he notes, like, it, it kind of sucks. They're going to have to fight. Right? That sucks. It's, it's just like Batman and Catwoman in Batman Returns. Do we have to fight now? <laughs> the things Angel does for Cordelia. Yeah, well, he'll do anything for her. That's why I love them. And they fight. And he kicks Skip. And then uh, the young man prisoner is able to actually grab Skip. From mm-hmm. the f- he's about to like pull him into the prison. Yes. Angel saves him and then apologizes before and knocking him out. Him out. Right. Yeah. Which stops the flame. And then we see the young man, which is, uh, wow, the bad guy's a white guy. Shocker. makes some really great he has not a single line of dialogue in this episode makes some very ominous faces that are very he makes good. some some great smug prick faces mm-hmm. that's why he's in that prison just for being a smug prick so we have a sordid meetup at the la river yeah <laughs> and i like that angel's late and lila's impatient and sort of checking her watch and she's just like annoyed but then yeah. she's pleased because she sees them pulling up Mm-hmm. she tells Angel that no one at the firm thought he could do it, but I could. Girl, you're not friends. There's no, like, respect after this. Again, I like that, you know, yeah, no one thought you could do it except me. And she calls him a remarkable man. And he calls her an evil bitch, which yeah. I'm, surprised she doesn't, I'm surprised she doesn't say thank you, but she does do, do a little smile. She, does, she essentially does, because she gives her a little smile like, you're absolutely right. And then Wes has a foot phone. <laughs> I do think that Angel, again, seems willing to settle this here if Lila will say explicitly that she will leave Cordelia alone. And she says it's just business. Yeah, right. Just business. And then uh, with some business, uh, Angel throws some rebar at Cal Pen's dumb head. And impales him. Yeah. (laughs) 
an angel again sort of physically threatens Lila and says, don't you come at me through Cordelia ever again. You play that card a second yeah. time and I'll kill you. And again, she's shaken, but she has to, of course, hide it. Uh, and now Cordy is making Angel a pop-up waffle. <laughs> Coffee and breakfast for him, even though he can't enjoy it. Correct. Yes. He's not a foodie, as we know. And I, was, <laughs> I wrote my notes, if only the blood was syrup. <laughs> Gross, but yeah. Like a smiley face, but it's blood. Yeah, that would be cute. That would be cute. That was That's a good thought. And Cordelia's really moved by what Angel did for her with no questions asked. But mm-hmm. she also feels responsible for the fact that this young man has been freed. Angel po- points out, you know, that she is way more important than winning yes. against Wolfman Heart, which of course is uh, in contrast to how Angel was feeling in season two, especially Correct. during his beige angel, AKA angle arc when he, he fired them. So, you know, progress and growth. That, that is growth, as they say. Yeah, well, and it's reminiscent of Tushan Shu in L.A. Yeah. And he says, I did what I had to do. We'll just deal with the consequences when they happen, which is meant to tell us that this is the first part of a two-parter, not in order necessarily, but the things things that happen in this episode will return later. It's very clear. Speaking of consequences, over in Honduras, pregnant Darla is back, as we saw at the end of Heartthrob in the little epilogue, and she meets up with a shaman, and he's like, I know why you're here. And she's like, you are my last hope. Yeah, I want uh, an abortion. Try- yeah, she wants to get rid of it. And she's tried everything and it's not working. Uh, so she wants to also know what it is and why she can't get rid of it. Yeah, A, why can't and- I abort my child? B, why am I pregnant when I'm dead? See- yeah. And, he, and he, he like double checks. He's like, the father's also a vampire, right? She's like, yeah, but not a very yes, good no, one. Not a very good one. No, not a very good one. <laughs> In her little Darla voice. And so then he tries to read the baby. And uh, there's nothing says, good in there. Yeah. He says, <laughs> I, I cannot help you. No man can. This is not meant to be known. And she decides, it's time to go visit daddy. Ooh. Yeah, what I want to know is if she uh, is if she eats the shaman after, but we don't get to see. <laughs> yeah, we don't see, see that. Uh, if I were her, I might. I'd be kind of annoyed. Speaking of more consequences, you know, Angel has said that we'll, we'll, we'll deal with the consequences when we get there. Yes. Whether it's about this young man, about Darla, which he doesn't even know there will be consequences Not to. Yet. Which means that it's time to suggest an episode of television to Angel. Angel is a vampire. Does he even like TV? I think he'll like the WB. <laughs> They got that hot teen drama to ease the pain and trauma. And here's the episode that he needs to see. Oh, yeah. So, Connor, yeah. uh, there is a new segment we have on Angel on Top, okay. which is where I suggest an episode from a television show on the WB that Angel should watch to help him navigate the issues he is dealing with this week. Would you like to know the episode? Yes. It is uh, Felicity, season two, episode two, The List, also known as the episode where Felicity cuts her hair. I was say, that's the haircut, right? Yeah. Yeah, which of course, to this day, people blame for the ratings decline of the show, everything going to chaos after, you know, Carrie Russell won the Golden Globe in season one. 
even though the show lasted for two more seasons, making it through all four years of college. Possibly the ratings went down because it had a time slot change. Yeah. Going from Tuesday at 9, following the B word, to Sunday at 8 p.m. as the lead-in to Jack and Jill. Right. And also following... Seventh Heaven Beginnings, which is just reruns of Seventh Heaven Ooh, and on the WB's really Big Sunday. Yeah. And so, you know, Angel is only thinking about the here and now and not the consequences of his actions, which is noble for Cordelia. But he should be worrying about uh, these things because when you don't worry about these things, uh, people complain that you've ruined your show. <laughs> Certainly some of the consequences of these actions will involve things that some people feel ruined this show. So that's a, uh, that's, I guess, an apt comparison. <laughs> um, I don't agree with them, but I, I do. Uh, that, I think that that you'll get that later, newbies. I'm just saying, Angel, get some Carrie Russell in your life. Like, really absorb her actions. That has been that vision thing. You can, of course, find me on Twitter and Twitter only at LaFergs and uh, this podcast uh, at Angel on Topcast, both on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can email us at angelontoppodcast at gmail.com. And Connor, what about you? Where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Dream of Organon. I'm sorry, it's not great to spell. Dream of O-R-G-O-N-O-N. It's a Kate Bush lyric. You can find me on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. Uh, you can find my X-Men podcast, Cerebrocast, or it's just called Cerebro, but it's at Cerebrocast, uh, or Cerebrocast.com, or Cerebrocast on Instagram. It's relatively new. It's only been going on for about a month or so. And uh, it's a character-by-character character exploration of the 57-year history of Marvel's X-Men franchise, which is uh, newbie-friendly. So I encourage newbies to, to jump in uh, the deep end of that particularly weird, gnarled uh, fictional universe, just as you might be jumping into this one. And uh, you can also see more about my work as a literary agent and the incredible authors I represent at ConnorGoldsmith.com. Thank you, Connor. And uh, thank you for listening to Angel on Top. Thank you for having me, guys. This was so much fun. Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless, and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian, and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote, and now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration. I'll give myself a pat on the back for that as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. 
So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin, wherever you get your podcasts.